Welcome to the archives of Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Biological warfare is the use of weapons to cause death by disease. The largest and most sophisticated biological weapons program in the world, which cultivated and stockpiled anthrax virus, brucellosis, plague, and genetically altered strains of smallpox, employed more than 6,000 people at over 100 facilities in the former Soviet Union. Dr. Ken Alabeck is a medical doctor and holds a PhD in microbiology. For 15 years, ending in 1992, he was the scientific leader of Biopreparat, the civilian branch of the Soviet Union's secret biological weapons program, a clandestine military empire masquerading as a pharmaceutical company. In 1992, Dr. Alabeck defected to the United States. Several years later, he wrote Biohazard, the chilling story of the largest covert biological weapons program in the world, told from inside by the man who ran it. This book details the development of biological weapons, the horrors of his former life, and why he chose to defect. In this, the first of two interviews with Dr. Ken Alabeck, conducted in 1999, I asked him to begin by telling us about the Soviet Union's biological weapons program. The Soviet Union uh, uh, has established this program, uh, I mean uh, BW program, biological weapons program, uh, a long time ago. It, uh, it was established in 1928. Uh, then it was uh, not a very uh, powerful, of course, it's uh, more than 70 years ago, not very powerful program. But uh, time went by and uh, the Soviet Union was developing new and new uh, types of biological weapons, uh, new production capabilities, uh, developing new uh, production techniques. And finally, by uh, the late 80s, this country uh, became uh, the most powerful and sophisticated country in this area, I mean, in the area of biological weapons. Where did they have their power? What weapons did they possess at that time? Uh, what uh, was developed? Uh, uh, some uh, viral biological weapons and bacterial biological weapons. Specifically, uh, smallpox uh, biological weapon, anthrax, uh, plague, tularemia, glanders, meliodosis, uh, Venezuelan encephalomyelitis, Marburg infection. This country was developing Ebola, biological weapon, uh, Machupo, Bolivian hemorrhagic fever infection, and many, many others. Well, tell us about what that means to develop these uh, biological weapons, how they're used, um, the dangers that are involved with their development. Uh, biological weapons, of course, what we need to understand uh, are not uh, biological agents. Uh, they're based uh, on uh, biological agents. Uh, but uh, if uh, one or another country has a desire to develop uh, powerful biological weapon, weapons, it uh, develops production techniques, uh, it develops nutrient media, uh, techniques for cultivation, concentration, uh, munitions for uh, applying biological weapons, uh, delivery systems. Uh, it, it could be, uh, um, for example, as in 
the Soviet Union, uh, ballistic missiles, cruise missiles, uh, aviation bombs, and such and such. Application techniques mostly using uh, so-called uh, aerosol application, um, disp uh, spreading these agents or weapons uh, in the air. So that people would breathe them and become infected? Yeah, it's uh, one of the uh, most, let me say, um, effective ways uh, just to apply biological weapons. And one of those weapons uh, was smallpox after it had thought to have been eradicated throughout the world? Uh, for the Soviet Union, it was, it was a perfect time uh, to start uh, redeveloping this weapon. Uh, in uh, 80s, uh, this country decided to develop uh, new production techniques, new application techniques for smallpox weapons. And uh, it finished uh, this work in 1990, in December of 1990. What had they accomplished in that 10-year period? Uh, uh, it was, uh, the main idea was to develop a new, very powerful industrial technique and these weapons could, uh, this weapon, specifically this weapon, uh, could be used in um, as a strategic biological weapon, uh, because at that time it was absolutely clear to the highest levels of uh, the Soviet Union that nobody was uh, protected against smallpox because nobody was vaccinated anymore, and uh, this weapon uh, could be, uh, in my opinion, an absolute weapon because everybody was vulnerable to this. Uh, agents and to these weapons. Were there plans that you knew of for the Soviet Union to use smallpox biological weapons? Uh, in my opinion, nobody plays uh, uh, such games because no, nobody would do this work just um, for just uh, without uh, a very strong desire to use these weapons if uh, there is an order. So there were plans to use it if there was an order? Yeah, absolutely, because uh, smallpox uh, was considered a strategic weapon and could be used against um, potential enemies. When you say strategic weapon, what do you mean? Uh, biological weapons uh, have been uh, divided into two uh, large groups, strategic weapons and operational weapons. The, uh, strategic weapons, weapons are mostly lethal, uh, based on little agents like smallpox, uh, plague, anthrax. Um, in the future, it would be uh, Marburg infection. These weapons uh, would be used against uh, remote targets, uh, for example, like the United States, like Great Britain, and uh, some uh, remote European countries, just against large cities, uh, large military installations, seaports, and uh, operational weapons, mostly incapacitating weapons, like uh, tularemia, uh, brucello brucellosis, Q fever. These weapons would be used against, uh, uh, to, to strike closer uh, targets like rear services. But uh, these weapons never would be used against um, troops uh, uh, located close to front lines, because biological weapons are very dangerous from this standpoint. It's, uh, there is a very high probability to, to infect uh, own troops. By the wind changes? Yeah, if uh, the wind changes, and some of them are uh, creating uh, epidemic uh, foci, for example, like tularemia or some, some other infections. And for example, in case of offense, uh, 
uh, it would be a very high probability to infect own troops. In this case, of course, just uh, uh, these weapons would be used uh, to strike remote targets uh, like rear services, troops uh, moving toward a uh, front line and such and such. And uh, as I said before, strategic weapons would be used against uh, uh, countries, uh, very, very remote targets. Well, if they were using a strategic weapon, how would they get the uh, smallpox or the anthrax delivered to the target site? Uh, two different uh, techniques uh, for, for strategic uh, application. Strategic bombers with cluster bombs and um, ballistic missiles with uh, single warhead and multi-warhead strategic missiles. Uh, this country was developing new uh, type of application cruise missiles uh, by late 80s and uh, when I left this country in the beginning of 90s this uh, work uh, has not been finished yet but uh, Russia continued studying this approach. Ken, what was your personal role in developing these weapons? Uh, I came to this program in 1975 after uh, after I graduated from a military medical college and uh, I became a junior scientist and uh, probably because I was uh, good in developing these weapons uh, I grew uh, very fast and between uh, 1988 and 1992 uh, I was a scientific leader of this program. What did that mean, scientific leader? I was responsible for developing weapons, for researching uh, and developing new biological weapons, not just uh, so-called traditional weapons. I was responsible and I oversee, uh, oversaw um, development of uh, antibiotic-resistant biological weapons, genetically altered biological weapons. It's a, a completely new approach uh, to develop these weapons. These weapons would be, uh, would know uh, cure and probably no nobody Practically nobody would survive if uh, these weapons w uh, were used. And you were in charge of that for the entire Soviet Union? Uh, not for the entire Soviet Union, for one of the main branches of this program. It's with the name of Biopreparat. It was uh, uh, the main director of Biopreparat responsible for research and uh, de development, uh, for researching and developing uh, some forms of biological weapons. There were several other directorates uh, for developing weapons, but for example, uh, the 15th directorate uh, at the Ministry of Defense was responsible for some, some weapon uh, weapons development. Then uh, the main directorate uh, under the Ministry of Agriculture uh, responsible for developing uh, anti-agricultural biological weapons, just uh, anti-plant or anti-crop biological weapons, and uh, anti-livestock Well, I think it's important to shock uh, because in reading your book, it's it's very shocking. And what I'd like you to uh, talk about, if you would please, is the genetically altered biological weapons that you said that if they were used, hardly anybody would survive. 
But first, I want to take a moment and say that my guest is Dr. Ken Alabek, the director of the former Soviet Union's Biological Warfare Program. You're listening to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Let me give you this example. Uh, people uh, now uh, here in the United States, scientists are trying just to develop uh, protection against anthrax biological weapon. Uh, there are t- uh, two problems. First problem, uh, whether or not to vaccinate people, and uh, that's why now, for example, troops are vaccinated against uh, anthrax. And another problem, for example, if somebody is not vaccinated, uh, how to treat this uh, specific uh, person? And we use antibiotics for this. The Soviet Union was interested in uh, developing new anthrax, uh, anthrax biological weapons, just from this standpoint, I mean. That, uh, that, uh, that would uh, overcome uh, vaccination immunity and uh, biological weapons, uh, anthrax biological weapons. They would overcome um, uh, well-known uh, and uh, widely accepted uh, antibiotic treatments. It meant uh, that uh, this country wanted to develop multi-antibiotic resistant strains of anthrax uh, resistant to all possible uh, antibiotic treatments. And uh, another approach is to develop uh, new strains of anthrax and new biological weapons just to overcome uh, vaccination. And was this done? Uh, new uh, uh, strains to overcome uh, antibiotic treatment have been developed and improved uh, in the 80s and uh, in 90s. And uh, just last year, um, this country published an article that... Uh, they were capable to develop a strain that uh, overcame um, a vaccine, uh, vaccine immunity um, in, in, in monkeys. It, it, it seems to me now, especially just, of course, uh, first issue, of course, it was done. And now uh, this country is capable just to manufacture antibiotic-resistant biological weapons. When you say this country, you refer to Russia and other so- former Soviet republics? Just Russia. Just Russia? Yeah, because uh, uh, no, nobody else has uh, this level of capability uh, in the former Soviet Union but Russia. Ken, I want to take a moment and tell our listeners that this week we're talking with Dr. Ken Alabek. He left the Soviet Union by choice in 1992 after he spent approximately 20 years being uh, rising to the directorship of the largest biological weapons program in the world. He's uh, the author of a recent book called Biohazard. Ken, are these weapons still available in Russia? Are they still there? Opinion, at least uh, all techniques uh, to manufacture these weapons are still available. And Russia has not destroyed all documentation. Russia has not destroyed uh, production capabilities. And uh, there are several very suspicious uh, top secret facilities involved in, uh, previously involved in BW uh, research and development work, and uh, they're operational now. And uh, they still top secret, and uh, it's uh, it's absolutely clear that Russia continues researching this and uh, this area and developing something new. Why do they do this? Uh, it's uh, it's 
very difficult to answer, but I can just assume that uh, probably there are two reasons. Uh, first reason, because Russia was and is uh, the most, uh, let me say, Russia is super, uh, has superiority in this area. And, uh, of course, uh, Russia understands what biological weapons are and what is uh, their uh, real capability. And another, uh, another reason... Russian, uh, Russian, uh, the Russian military uh, is decaying. It's constantly decaying. Russia is not a superpower anymore. I mean, from a general standpoint, uh, but uh, biological weapons are very effective weapons. And, uh, for example, uh, in case of a possible war, Russia, in my opinion, uh, would like to have these weapons as, a, uh, as a weapons of choice. In other words, you uh, feel that they may use them. Uh, you know, just uh, if uh, a country is in danger and it uh, faces uh, destruction, of course, probably it's uh, it's highly probable that uh, this country would use uh, these weapons as a last resort. What has kept the Soviet Union from using biological weapons up until now? Uh, because uh, there were no uh, there were no. Uh, Critical situation just for applying biological weapons, but I cannot say that Russia didn't use uh, the Soviet Union didn't use biological weapon weapons. Uh, according to my analysis, uh, during uh, World War II, Russia used at least once or twice biological weapons. One case it's 1942, just before Stalingrad uh, battle, and I'm describing. Uh, the uh, situation in the book. And uh, another case, it's uh, early 80, uh, specifically 1982, Afghanistan. It's uh, one, one more case of apply, uh, applying biological weapons. In, in uh, frontline battles? No, it's uh, the first uh, case, the first case, it was just, uh, that's why uh, Russia, in my opinion, that's why Russia uh, didn't have and doesn't have uh, so-called a tactical st a tactical strategy uh, to apply this this weapons because uh, this weapon was used very close to a front line to uh, to uh, affect uh, offensing uh, German troops and because of a very close contact uh, this epidemic uh, continued uh, for about uh, four months and uh, that's uh, uh, and some Russian soldiers uh, have been infected as well. And uh, in second case, in the second case, these weapons were used in uh, remote locations uh, of Afghanistan. And in this case, that's why uh, we haven't uh, heard practically uh, anything about this application. And specific of this weapon was uh, that uh, they used glanders. Glanders is a, a so-called uh, incapacitating weapon. It doesn't kill a lot of people, but it uh, it has a very high, uh, let me say, uh, disabling capability, and it uh, affects uh, uh, horses. In this case, for uh, uh, in in case of war between Russia and the Soviet Union and Afghanistan, it was very uh, important just to to infect and kill horses uh, because the main, let me say, transportation uh, means for uh, Mujahideen's war horses. 
And you know from your own personal knowledge that it was used? Yeah, just it's uh, my, my personal knowledge, and I'm, I'm saying this in, in the book, just how, I get, uh, how uh, I've gotten this information. I'd like to mention again that I'm talking with Dr. Ken Alabek, who was born in Kazakhstan in 1950. He has a degree as a medical doctor and also holds a PhD in microbiology for research and development of plague and tularemia biological weapons and also a doctorate of science in biotechnology for developing technology to manufacture anthrax on an industrial scale. Ken, with a background like that, uh, isn't there a conflict that you originally ignored as a doctor when you took an oath to help people and not hurt people? You know, it's, uh, it's a hardest uh, question because you're absolutely right. Um, when I uh, graduated from a military medical college, uh, I gave my uh, medical oath uh, not to harm, not to cause any harm. Just uh, according to uh, this oath, uh, I had to just, uh, I had a responsibility, just one responsibility to help people survive, just to save uh, their lives. But uh, because I was, uh, probably because I was a good student, uh, I, inter I was interested in, in science, in uh, infectious diseases, uh, epidemiology. I was chosen just to work for this program in the Soviet Union. Yeah, you know, uh, I had some doubts, and uh, I even tried just to escape, but it was impossible. What do you mean, escape? Just, uh, I, I talked to my, to my father, just because he was, uh, and he's a World War II veteran, and uh, he wrote a letter to the Minister of Defense of the Soviet Union, asking just to let me uh, come and uh, serve closer to my parents' house. But uh, this permission uh, never was given, and uh, I continued working for this program. But you know, it's uh, it's again, it's a personal uh, issue. But you know, when you're trapped with uh, large uh, pay and uh, a lot of privileges, and you know, it's it's uh, very hard to resist. Of course, I know I know it's it's my fault. Of course, probably I should. Uh, try uh, just to escape uh, more, uh, I mean, um, but I didn't do this, and, and finally, of course, uh, I um, continued on doing this work, and finally became one of the leaders of this program. Were you able to just put the conflict out of your mind, or did it consistently tug at you? You know, just, I, I cannot say I was... Uh, I've been. Uh, I was uh, thinking about this every single day, but for first uh, uh, couple of years, of course, for me it was very hard just to uh, to understand why I was doing this work. But you know, uh, uh, time went by, and you know, you you start uh, getting used to and. Unfortunately, finally, of course, uh, it's, and because maybe because of uh, propaganda, Soviet propaganda, that we were developing these weapons as a response to uh, the United States threat. 
Were these concerns about the uh, ethics or the morals of the work that you were doing ever discussed by you with your co-workers? You know, it, it, it was very dangerous. It was very dangerous. If you start discussing something like this, of course, it's, you know, immediately you'd be um, so-called selected by KGB. And if you continue doing this, of course, you can lose no, not just uh, your work or your privileges, you, you can lose your, your freedom. Did your uh, wife or children know about the work that you did? Practically nothing. Did they have any suspicions or questions? Uh, my wife, she, of course, probably she uh, suspected uh, something, but she never tried just to uh, clear the situation up because, it's, again, it's, it's quite dangerous in the Soviet Union and you never know who is uh, whether or not you are uh, bagged, and uh, in many cases, yes, of course, it's even uh, at your home, of course, it was very dangerous to discuss a lot. There would be a bug or an electronic wiretap in the walls of your home? Yeah, it's, it's, it was highly probable. I never tried just to uh, to, to check it, because it's, it's absolutely impossible. For example, if you, uh, if I find something, of course, if I found something, of course, just of course, I, uh, it wouldn't be possible to remove this. Let me say wires and bags from from uh, from from the house. Because if you removed it, they would notice its absence. Yeah, uh, you're right. Um, Ken Alabeck, I want to thank you for joining us on uh, this edition of Radio Curious. And before we close, I want to ask you the question that I ask all of my guests, and that is, could you tell us of an interesting book that you've read lately? I finished reading uh, The Cobra Event, uh, uh, written by uh, Richard Preston, and he's my personal fr friend, and that's why uh, I was reading this book. And then uh, I've read um, book Vec uh, Vector, uh, written by uh, Robin Cook, it's a book in this area. And now I'm just uh, reading some, some books written in Russian, just because uh, because of my knowledge uh, of English and Russian, of course, I can read in both languages. Tell us the name again of the Richard Preston book. Uh, the Cobra Event. Briefly, what is the work that you're doing now in the United States? I'm working uh, for a private company uh, that's a government contractor. The name of the company is Hedron, located in, in Northern Virginia. Just, I, I just came to this company, uh, and uh, I, uh, I've gotten uh, a newly created position of a chief scientist. And just my uh, personal responsibility is uh, to start developing uh, medical defense against biological weapons. Because I, uh, I'm a physician, I know biological weapons effects, and I know how to uh, prote protect against biological weapons. Yes, I, I'm trying just to to undo uh, what I did before and just to, to do something. Of course, I know uh, I'm not able to unmake these weapons, but yes, I'm trying to develop something just to help uh, people uh, to be protected against biological weapons if uh, uh, somebody applies these weapons against, against people. Dr. Ken Alabek, thank you for joining us on Radio Curious. Okay, thank you very much.
Dr. Ken Ellebeck is the author of Biohazard, the chilling story of the largest covert biological weapons program in the world, told from the inside by the man who ran it. The book he recommends is Prevent by Richard Preston. Copies of this and other editions of Radio Curious can be found on our website, www.radiocurious.org. There are over 750 archives on our website, radiocurious.org, and I'm honored to tell you that Radio Curious is now part of the collection at the Library of Congress. We appreciate your cards, ideas, and letters, and do enjoy hearing from you. The email is curious at radiocurious.org. The postal address is 700 West Smith Street, Ukiah, California, 95482. The phone is 707-621-5075. Ignacio Ayala is the assistant producer. I'm host and producer Barry Vogel. Thank you for listening.